0: The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. I can say this. Over the last four years or so, I've seen a change. I've seen um, God calling His people in a, in a, in a more powerful way especially pastors and leaders, it's happening to come together and to seek him with all their hearts. You know, he says, you will seek me and find me when what? When you search for me with all your heart. And there's a difference between seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord to find him. And we've got to be about seeking him to find him anew and afresh in revival and spiritual awakening because God is is calling us as his people to return to him. And if we are going to ever see a movement of his Holy Spirit, we must be a people who will commit ourselves and devote ourselves to seek him with all of our hearts so that he might be found. And that's going to take discipline. It's going to take dependence. It's going to take devotion. It's going to take us as God's people rearranging our lives, rearranging our priorities, but saying the most important thing that we can do is that we can get on our faces before the Lord and cry out for his mercy. I love that great uh, verse In uh, Psalm 147, verse 11. It says, "I, I delight in those who fear me. In those who long for my mercy. Now that word long is very important there. There's got to be that longing for his mercy. And the Lord... Gives that in our hearts as his people. When he, he He's the great initiator of prayer. And he initiates in our hearts that hunger and that thirst and that desire for him. It's not just about his blessings and revival and awakening. No, it's about his manifest holy presence that we must long for as his people. And that's what he desires because he loves us. And it's rooted and grounded in... His, his loyal chesed love, uh, we know, in Scripture. And so as, as we think today toward revival, spiritual awakening, and making disciples, just know our, God, our great God is at work uh, in tremendous ways. There, there's a movement of leaders and pastors in, in middle, kind of middle Tennessee right now that's happening um, of pastors gathering and seeking the Lord. But I see it all over in in different associations where uh, it it may not be all the pastors, and it's not, but there are groups of them. And And they're all across our state in different areas that have become very serious. In fact, I had one that called me not long ago, and he says, I just... Had to call you. He said, We just finished our prayer time as pastors. He says, There's about six or seven of us. And he says, God came. He says, And and he says, I can't describe to you uh, the nearness of the Lord in our time, and, and as we got up off our knees and our faces <laughs> an hour and something later, he said, God just had renewed our hearts and renewed our vigor and fervor to call his people to seek him. And he says, I, I haven't experienced God's nearness in that way, and I can't tell you when, Chris. He says, God's up to something. And uh, uh, so, I'm 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 very much encouraged by the things that I hear, and the same things that I see. And in Southern Baptist life, you know, that Ronnie Floyd has a great heart for prayer, for revival and spiritual awakening. In fact, he just uh, it was just uh, approved in the executive committee meeting there that the executive committee will now have prayer as a, one of its ministries and so which is huge in southern baptist life that hasn't been uh, different entities have had their own emphasis in prayers at some time or another and right now really the imb is is uh, pretty much providing leadership in that but from a convention-wide perspective with the executive committee saying prayer is key and vital. If we're ever going to see uh, a movement of God's Holy Spirit we must seek Him. This is huge in Southern Baptist life. You have an opportunity to send an email to Him. Uh, Affirm that in Him because uh, (laughs) nobody will outwardly say I'm against prayer but I can guarantee you people We'll, uh, we'll uh, have agendas that say, well, you know, we gotta do, we got to do more and pray. So may we uh, truly be about seeking the Lord with all of our hearts. Uh, and uh, I, I really believe that we are going to see a day, uh, and it may not be in my lifetime, but I believe we're going to see a day that we'll, we'll experience again in this nation, uh, in the church in this nation. Let me say that. Uh, a, a mighty move called revival and an awakening of God's spirit in our culture where lostness is just impacted in a rapid running of the gospel. Uh, and um, wow. Wow. Uh, I believe it it's like the Psalter says in Psalm 90 reveal your work to us your servants your majesty to their children and I'm praying God help us to see that we will respond and we will be obedient to seek you so that our children and our next generations can see the majesty of God in revival all right let's pray I could go on there, but we need to get to the task at hand. Father, thank you for this time in this group and the time we have together to look at this uh, idea and concept of revival, spiritual awakening, prayer, and discipleship. And I pray that, God, you would open our eyes as we look into your word and uh, as we uh, think and pray toward these principles Uh, Lord, we pray that you will truly kindle within our hearts a new and a fresh, a hunger and a thirst for you and for what only you can do through revival and spiritual awakening. We pray and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Open your Bibles to James chapter four, if you have your Bibles with you. And I I'm, I use this as a backdrop today, and I'll just uh, look at the four major sections here just briefly. And then we'll move into, I think we only have about a 45 minutes to an hour, I think, is what we have. Uh, we go to, what, 1130? Is that uh, uh, so? Um, but uh, what we'll do is we'll look at this. And then we're going to draw out, and I'll go back to make reference to different places with James chapter 4. Uh, but James chapter 4 is, is, is this great text where James is addressing uh, the lack of, of a spiritual vitality in the life of believers. Now, he does this by identifying many hindrances to the vital spiritual life. Uh, And he'll do that in the first uh, four verses or so. And boy, he hits it hard. Then uh, he begins, he he moves to helping us to see that the the work of the Holy Spirit, though, despite the fact that God's people depart from him and God's people move away from him, uh, the Holy Spirit is on our trail. Isn't that a neat... uh, uh, He longs for us. He is... He is after us. Now, thirdly, we'll look at how it is then that we can return to the Lord. And James is very practical in that, but he, he, he points that out. And then fourthly, he, 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 he moves us to realize that we must practically live that out. You know, it's one thing to say, I've been revived. So it's, an, it's another thing to say, you know, I've returned to the Lord But what does that mean? How should that work itself out in our lives? And, and of course, James doesn't do a comprehensive look at that, but he does address um, key issues, especially that were were needing to be addressed in that day. Uh, And, uh, of course, I believe really needs to be addressed today. So, first of all, verses 1 through 4, let's look at just a couple of things here. James identifies... Uh He identifies the hindrances. he says, "Where do wars and fights come from among you Now, Wars and fights never happen in Baptist churches, right?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so James is beginning to identify <clears throat> something that 's real, and we all know that that's real in the li- in the life of a church. It can be, and many churches have experienced wars and fights and it's interesting. He uses those two terms because they describe two different kind of, co- kinds of conflict. The first is wars, which is an underlying kind of a steady uh, 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 happening that's taking place. It, in fact, it, it may not at times even be on the surface. It may be just underlying. And uh, it is this, this conflict that's, that's there. It's, a, it's an ongoing conflict in the life of the congregation. Maybe a power struggle. We don't know exactly what all he's talking about here, but what he does say is that it's wars. In fact, uh, they are at odds, big odds, because he describes it as a war. And so uh, if if you have a war, you have opposing forces, and so you've got opposing forces in the life of the body. He also says uh, fights. Now, fights are kind of little volcanic eruptions that take place. And so it's, it's like this, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's like something that happens in people's lives when they get very angry. It's an angry just eruption of, of hurt and pain that spews out of people's lives. I, you know, I remember in one of my pastorates, I had a deacon that uh, he really had a problem with anger. And, uh, I mean, he would, in deacons' meetings, I'm telling you, you just have to call him out and say, you've you got to calm down. And uh, But he would do that in all kinds of settings. And it was really sad, uh, uh, really sad. And there was something that was really underlying in his life. It never really got to that, what it was. But uh, there was something that really, and, 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 you know, it got to where people just didn't want to be around him and the people didn't i mean he, he was one of the key leaders in the life of the congregation so he was he was on every committee you know and kind of thing but but people just dreaded it when someone disagreed with him uh it was not a good thing oh I'm so sorry um and uh, but uh, uh so so those are the things he's beginning to address those are the if you will, the the circumstances and the outward kind of things. And then he says, uh, where do they come from, though? We need to identify that this, this is not the root cause. These are things that are happening. This is the surface stuff that's taking place. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? In other words, these hedonistic, self-centered, selfish desires. And so he begins to Dig deep here at this and, and says, you know, the things that's happening in these wars and fights are all the result of, of self in our lives as God's people. It's that whole element of pride. It's a whole element of self. It's that whole element of fleshly lusts and desires. Then he goes on, he continues, he says, you lust and you do not have. So there's lusting going on, you murder and covet, and you cannot obtain, you fight and you war. So he begins to continue that digging in the hearts and lives of the people. And he, he identifies covetousness, he identifies um, slander and murder of people. Uh, here, um, we, and, 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 and folks, it's a very serious thing that is going on in the life of the body. And so James identifies those things, said these are hindrances. These hindrances point to the fact that the vital spiritual life is not healthy. There's no, no vital spiritual life. The spiritual life is, is waning in the lives of his people. Then he goes on. And he he keeps digging deeper. He says, yet you do not have because what? You do not ask. You're not dependent on God. And he begins to, to show them really who they are before the Lord. Now, James never cuts any corners here. He always goes straight to the chase. And he does that. And he says, and even when you do ask, look at your motives in asking. You're asking out of a bad motive. And you're, it's, a, it's a motive that you want to spend it, a monetary term, on your own pleasures. In other words, you're kind of treating God like a, like a slot machine. You put in a quarter and you say, okay, I want to line these things up and i pull the trigger so that God will bless me. And, uh, uh, you know, that's the way you're treating prayer when you do pray. So these motives are wrong when you're praying. And look what else he says. <coughs> Verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So, so he ends up by saying the big issue is you've, be, you've committed spiritual adultery. And you're friends with the world. Therefore, you are diametrically opposed to God. You're his enemy. Now, these are believers, y'all. These are believers and sowing discord and, and 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 murdering and coveting the people of the Lord, uh, creating wars and fights in the body. I mean, this is huge. And, and James identifies it and he says, the real issue is you have committed spiritual adultery. You have left your first love. Now you say, well, what in the world has this got to do with revival, spiritual awakening, and disciple making? You hang in there. Now, now look at secondly what he's saying here. Look at what he's doing. He, He then begins to say, okay, even though that's so, you need to understand something. Your God, our God is not pleased with your spiritual condition. But your God and our God is also not complacent about it. And anytime that is the case in the life of a Christian, God is never complacent with regard to his people because he loves his people. And he pursues his people. And that's what he says in verse 5. Or do you think that the scriptures said is in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, what he's trying to help us see here is that the spirit of God that dwells in us and God's Holy Spirit, not only that dwells in us, is after us. Even though we have committed spiritual adultery, we have turned away from the Lord, God is after us. And uh, he uses that little term yearns which describes a longing for a longing for uh, God's people. And so the Holy Spirit yearns and he's jealous. God's jealous of us. God is not going to give us up. Without a fight. I have some friends that. Uh, they, they're dealing with the element of. Um, one of their children. Has come out as a homosexual. And they. <laughs> boy they are walking in that right now. And they. they uh, they're not going to give up the fight. That's their child and just give in to that lifestyle and, and and because of their great love. And, and I, I'm just telling you, the Holy Spirit of God is after his church in America because we've departed from him. He's after us as individuals because we've departed from him. And we've committed spiritual adultery. We have become friends with the world. And God is not pleased. But neither is he complacent. And I believe God is saying right now to his church, you have to return to me. But I'm after you. And God is squeezing us. It's all around us. The discipline of God is all around us. You see the spiritual famine that's in the church. You see the the darkness that's in the church. You see the sin that's in the church. You see the complacency and the apathy that's in the church. Let alone the culture. And you realize, and we all know, that God is chastising us. And he is bringing us to a point of, of, of... of humbling ourselves before him because he loves us. And he says, God, uh, he gives more grace, therefore. I love that. He gives more grace. That's his message to his people. They Listen, these are people who have committed spiritual adultery. But what is his message? God gives more grace. But he's after us. But who does he give grace to? Those that long for him, but he resists the who? The proud. He resists the proud, but he does does what? He gives grace to who? The humble. And so the picture here is of God saying, return to me. My spirit is on your trail. As Francis Thompson wrote in his little poem, The Hound of Heaven. God is on our trail and He is not giving up. And and so with that comes His promise that He has abundant grace to offer to His people if they will humble themselves. So James sets us up here for this next and third section and, and that is how do we humble ourselves how do we become humble before him and look what he says in verse 7 submit to god that's military term surrender uh really it's it's in a it's a term of obedience it's what it is you submit to god's authority in your life you resist the devil you give him the hand joust you give him the hand joust and you say uh get thee behind me satan he says he will flee from you. We have a responsibility in this thing called spiritual warfare, y'all. And that responsibility is that we resist the devil. If there's something in our house, something in our lives, something in, in a relationship or whatever that is eating our lunch, then we need to get rid of it. We need to take it out of our home. We need to take it out of our lives. I have a dear friend in ministry that said I can't have the Internet in my home. This is too much of a temptation. What did he do? Took the internet out of his home. What do you do? And so what he says is resist the devil. Resist him. Well, we go on. Let's go. He says you draw near to God. This is the most intimate, closest proximity. The term is used throughout the New Testament. Describes this in your face. (laughs) And, And Old Testament parallel to that is seek the face of God. Uh, if my people are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and what? Seek my face. It is this, this element of drawing near to God. And what does he say? I will what? Draw near, you. Draw near to you. And then he says, you lament. And no, he says, you cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. And he says, you lament and you mourn. And you let your joy be turned to gloom. You lament, mourn, weep. You let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. You repent. You're sorry for your sin. You turn away from your sin. Now, now, I'm, uh, this this is this is at the core of revival, and that is genuine biblical repentance, brokenness over our sin brokenness over the famine that's in the church and famine that's in the land. And look what he says here. I love this. He says, and then finally in verse 10, you humble yourselves in the sight of God, of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now notice that in the sight of the Lord, it's in his presence, you draw near to him, most intimate proximity, you seek in his face, and you humble yourself before him. The word there describes deep surrender and 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 you just laid yourself before him laid out, and you say, "Lord, I'm broken before you. there's nothing else I can do. I am totally dependent on you. you ever been there as christians we we will we will be there at times in our lives But there's nothing more precious than when we are there and the next thing happens and He will lift you up. There's, no, there's nothing greater in our lives as Christians than that time and that season when He lifts us up in forgiveness, in restoration of our relationship with him our walk with him he rekindles our passion in our lives and and God does that only God can do that it's not just a a program or process that we involve ourselves in it's the work of the holy spirit of almighty god because you remember he's been after us and and the picture is that he grabs us. <laughs> I love that. You know, I was a park ranger before I was called in ministry. <laughs> I was old Smokey the Bear. I have a friend that says I went, I went from a grizzly bear to a Smokey the Bear to a big teddy bear when I got saved. But we would have hunters that would hunt coon on the park and they weren't supposed to. And we'd hear those dogs. And for nights, you'd hear those a couple of those dogs that would get lost. Or uh, probably what happened is that their owners uh, didn't want to uh, go any further on the park or even claim them because uh, they knew that would not be really good for them because they weren't supposed to be there in the first place. And those dogs, uh, we'd finally find them, they'd be... They'd be dehydrated and <laughs> cut up and bleeding, but they'd be on the trail. They'd be on the trail of that coon going after him. And, and you know, I, I just always think about God and his loyal, chesed love for his people and how he's after us to apprehend us, to long, he's longing for us. And what he wants is for us to long for him. And now, now, the last part, and then we'll uh, we'll move to some some application here with this. But the last part is is the last verses here. He says, uh, verse eleven: Do not speak evil of one another. So he moves in this direction now of saying, okay, how's this worked out? You've experienced my cleansing and my change in your life. What, what should it produce? Should it produce something? Should. And so you should not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother <coughs> and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Wow. And so this, this whole element of speaking against and judging your, your brother and your sister in Christ. I've always said this. If we spent half the time praying that we do criticizing one another as the body of Christ, we would be in revival right now. Amen. But we, what James says is, if you truly experience a renewing of the Holy Spirit in your life, and that vital spiritual life is rekindled in your life through the forgiveness of Christ, then it ought to change something in your life. And you ought not speak against your brothers or your sisters. And, and so he, he, he does that, and then he says something else, a second thing. He says in verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. In other words, you're presumptuous about the future. And what he's trying to say is, This is your attitude. You're not treating life from God's perspective. You're treating life from man's perspective and from the world's perspective. So that must change if... And remember, what was his indictment to the people of God? They were what? Spiritual adulterers and worldly, right? And so he's saying this whole mindset and attitude in your heart, in your mind, ought to change about life. It isn't what you're planning to do. You must begin to really look at in a different way. Because you've been renewed and and restored in your relationship with the Father. You should let Him determine that if the Lord wills. It's God's purposes, God's ways. Now, look at the last thing that he says, verse 17. So therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So this is the third thing. You always do what's right. In the sight of God. So that's where he, he begins to say, your life should change. When revival comes in the life of the church, God restores and rekindles that vital spiritual life. And people's lives are, are, are restored in relationship with him and one another. And the result of that will be the way they live out their lives from that point forward will be different. That happens as they genuinely repent and return to the Lord. And this is what happens in revival. And it produces a ripe environment for God to do great and mighty things through and with and in his people. And that is where we, we begin to, to look at this application with disciple making. Folks, you know that as the people of God, we have our backs against the wall right now. You know that, don't you? Uh, and, and God's been trying to get our attention for quite some time now. In fact, I, I want to read you a, a little uh, something here, uh, if, if I have it. Yeah, I have it right here. It's called uh, A Deepening Crisis. Men everywhere are sensing that something is missing in the life of the church. We have a form of religion, but no power. For most churchmen, there is no thrill in personal devotions, no spring in the step, no shout in the soul. The joy of sacrifice is gone. Complacency is the norm. While the church flounders in mediocrity, the world plunges deeper into sin. For the average person, life has lost its meaning. It is eat, drink, and be merry, and every man for himself. The sacredness of home and family is forsaken. Standards of decency in public and private are debased. Wow, that is true, isn't it? A spirit of lawlessness pervades the land. But the day of reckoning is sure to come. Moral and spiritual decline has its limits. There comes a time when we must reap the folly of our ways. Already we are beginning to see the disintegration of enduring values in society, and unless something happens soon to change our course, civilization as we know it is on its way out. Yet there's hope, why? Because dead dry bones can live. There's a sleeping giant, and it's called the church in America, the people of God. They need to be renewed and rekindled and awakened. So that they become hot hearted for the things of God, for him and for his, his work of making disciples of all the nations. And uh, I always tell people, uh, a lot of, uh, I hear people all the time say that our, our enemy here in America is our prosperity. Our enemy in America is not our prosperity. Our enemy in America is the same enemy that it is anywhere in the world. It's the heart. (laughs) And we allow worldliness to creep in. And that's what happened in the life of the church in America. We've departed from the Lord. So when we begin to look at this great need for revival and spiritual awakening, we look at lostness, which is exponentially growing in our culture all around us. And when I say Lostness, I mean lost people. We know that lostness is increasing all around us. And, 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 and so with that, we understand if the church is declining, which it is, by the way. I had a director of missions in an urban area tell me recently, 80 out of our 100 churches are in deep trouble. So, so we know it's happening all over. And so if that's the case, if you have a declining church who is not, who is not making disciples and you have an increasing lostness, what's going to happen sometime? Where are we headed? <laughs> and so, but God in history, in, in biblically speaking has intervened in the lives of his people when there has been spiritual famine in the life of his people and in the land. And he has moved in times of awakening and revival to turn that around. And, and there, there, where there's no, no rapid running of the gospel, suddenly God moves and there's a rapid running of the gospel. That's what he does in revival. That's why I say right now, one of the greatest things you can pray toward is ask God for His mercy in revival and spiritual awakening. Because when we look at what's happening with increasing lostness and declining in the church, we need God, y'all. And our backs are against the wall. So so what is it? These principles uh, and... Let me see if I can pull this bad boy out of the way here. I've listed some. I've taken, let me tell you, I've drawn from different sources. Um, um, James Burns in his Laws of Revival. Louis Drummond uh, uh, summarizes some of those in some of his works. Uh, uh, Wesley Duell also uh, is one of the contributors to this. But (coughs) I took a number of those lists. And if you want to take a picture of that, you can. And I've just kind of uh, brought them together to seven. I like that number seven, don't you? To seven uh, uh, keys here, principles, that, that allow us to interface revival, spiritual awakening, and the making of disciples. And why the element of revival is so key in this time is because when we do experience revival... God's movement of his mighty presence among his people, then there is a returning to personal and corporate holiness that takes place. In every great move of God, that always happens. You see, this is the call of James here. He is calling God's people back to personal holiness. That accountability that's there, there's sin, there's confession, and and oftentimes you know that today that we we stop here we confess but we don't repent you know that 180 degree turn <laughs> not 360 degree turn <laughs> And that's a personal joke with somebody in the room. <laughs> uh, but 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 it is it is genuine biblical repentance. Yes, there is confession. Yes, there is is sin that's exposed. When times of revival come, God exposes sin in the camp mm-hmm. and in the body, mm-hmm. and it's not pretty. And in our own personal lives, He exposes our sin. And that's not pleasant, y'all, for none of us. Second is the rekindling of a vital spiritual life, personally and corporately. And, uh, spiritual vitality. People become alive in Christ. Uh, their spiritual life is, is vital and, and, and truly uh, alive in their lives. Now, that makes a big difference in who they are. Who they are in the body, who they are at home, who they are in the, in the workplace, who they are in, when they're out uh, playing golf. Who, it's who they are. If, <coughs> excuse me, if there is a rekindling of the vital spiritual life, personally, then it, it changes that person. You know, when I was a a, a student at Gardner Webb College, I I walked past this big Victorian home and there was a a lady that uh, was always out there working in her yard. And one day she was out there trying to pull on her lawnmower cord to get it started. And I stopped and I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, Ma'am, can I help you? And she turned around. And I cannot describe to you the glow on her face. Miss Mary. Miss Mary. She says, oh no, me and my Lord, we'll get it. And she jerked on that cord and the next time, that thing fired right up. But it struck up a great friendship. She became my Greek tutor. Uh, she, she was well-versed in five different languages. Her husband had been the language professor at Gardner-Webb College. And wow, God just used her in our lives, my wife, Tammy, and myself. and uh, She was, but she, let me tell you, there was a glow on her face because she'd been with Jesus. And, and, and you know it as well as I do. That vital spiritual life is, is, has waned in the life of the church in America and in people's lives. So God and His Word become uh, primary hunger and thirst in obedience to His Word. Prayer, earnest, earnest prayer. People don't miss prayer meetings. In fact, prayer meetings fill up when this begins to happen in people's lives. Third is the fullness and manifestation of God's Holy Spirit begins to take place individually, uh, corporately in the life of the church, and communities, area-wide, nationwide. In the 1857 to 1859 spiritual awakening that took place called the Layman's Prayer Revival, the presence of God in the prayer meetings were just it was just one of those things when when these people when people gathered to pray god would just come and people would be broken over their sin and 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 they would want to leave there and go to witness to anybody and everybody they could it was just it was just the the presence of god and there was such a manifest presence of god the fullness and manifestation of the spirit uh all over the east coast you read about it uh, Wesley dual has a great little section on it, saying that ships, even ships off the coast, of the east coast of America, a hundred miles out, would come under the conviction of God, and some, and there's stories of church, of a of a of a, a ship coming into port, and the whole crew'd already been converted yeah. to Christ. Because of the manifestation of the Spirit of the living God. I mean, story after story after story. Uh, Would that not make a difference in making disciples? The manifestation of the Spirit of God all over. Uh, So so this is what happens when God sends revival and awakening. Uh, Another is the restoration of joy and hope that God can I can say this. I'm in a different church every Sunday. There are tons of pastors and churches that have no hope that God can change their community. They've been beat down. They, they haven't seen God do anything in such a long time. The baptismal waters are, haven't been stirred. And they're, and there's there's hope, they're kind of like the people of God in Ezekiel 37. They're like they're having an eor day, but it's an eor life and, they're, and and they're saying, "Our hope is gone, and we are cut off. but God can can he? And that's what happens. There's this restoration of joy and hope that God can, that takes place. when when, when, When the fullness and manifestation of the Spirit of God comes, that takes place in people's lives. But notice, if you will, another thing passionate devotion to the evangelistic mission. That becomes a forefront in the lives of disciples, they want to make disciples. And uh, you've got story after story after story in the great movements of God just in the life of our nation, of, of God moving in that mighty way uh, through the evangelistic mission as God's people began to get on mission anew and afresh. I mean, in, in the 1857 to 59 movement, uh, there were over a million people converted in two years in a population of 30 million people. And close to between uh, uh, 1.5 and 2 million people over the next six or seven years, we, they saw, if you read about it, they saw 300,000 soldiers come to Christ in, in, in uh, the Civil War on both sides. I mean, I'm, they would have revival meetings the night before battles. You see, there was this passion for the the evangelistic mission. Is there a passion that's present in the life of the church in America for the evangelistic mission? (laughs) We've lost our passion. We spend a lot of money denominationally trying to rekindle that passion. God's the only one that can do that. And so we seek Him. We seek Him and long for Him to do it through His manifest Holy Presence. But when He comes among His people, they begin to do the things that mean most to Him. They do those things. They're faithful to that. The evangelistic mission becomes forefront. Church growth begins to take place. Uh, uh, Conversion growth uh, is happening. It's not just the growth of the church. The Punjab Revival took place with John Praying Hyde. Have you ever heard of John Praying Hyde? Anybody? John, missionary, Presbyterian missionary to India from 1892 to 1906. He prayed and prayed and prayed for years and years and didn't have a convert. And then God began to move. God gave him a burden to pray. He prayed for one soul a day and God gave him one soul a day on the average at the end of that year. He pray, began to pray for two souls, three souls, four souls, year, consecutive years. And uh, God gave him those souls. But he would sometimes spend 32 hours in prayer at one time. Wow. Hey, was just a man of, of an unceasing prayer. He had this devotion, though, to the evangelistic mission. And, uh, and because of that, there was this rapid spreading of the gospel. The church grew in that time and that season of that awakening there in the Punjab region some 442%. And uh, so, so that happens. What could that do to your disciple making uh, uh, efforts in the life of a church? <laughs> Better get ready for it. Are you ready for 100 new people to disciple? I mean, during times of revival, that could happen real quick. And so are we prepared for that? Do we have something in place for that? You see, we've got to be responsible for that. If we're praying for revival, uh, it can happen suddenly. You know that, don't you? And when it it does, are we prepared for God to move suddenly? Or will we miss him? So there's a rapid spreading of, of the... Awakening that begins to happen among the laity, you know. One of the things that always happens in the la- in a revival is that the laity is set on fire. the 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 lay people in the church, the the church itself, the the lay people, uh, not the not the vocational pastors. They're set on fire too, <laughs> but uh, you you have an unleashing of the laity. That happens uh, they begin to take responsibility uh, for the great commission, um, and then moral and ethical transformation in the community and culture and change you know that begins to happen, and you have great examples of of orphanages uh, you know with uh, 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 during times of of great spiritual awakening orphanages and uh, social reform that begins to take place, uh, the culture is changed and transformed because uh, you have lost people being converted in unprecedented numbers. When I mean, you think about the Welsh revival, you think about the great stories of the miners You know, being converted to Christ and they had to retrain the ponies because the ponies only knew curse words for their commands. And, and you know, you know uh, if you go in the mines, they, they began to have Bible studies at lunch, and they had Bible verses written on the walls because of the transformation. The police began to form the, they began to form quartets on the street corners because there was nothing to do. So, so we, we know God transforms through times of revival. Do we need that? Yes. But it happens, see, as people's lives are changed one by one. Hearts are changed through the power of the gospel. Through people making disciples that make disciples. And, and that becomes, becomes forefront in the life of the church. All of a sudden... The church is not about itself. It's about God and about his kingdom marching forward. And oh, how we need for that to happen. I'm saying there's a sleeping giant, you know? It's called the church in America. And a lot of people want to write it off. They want to say, well, we've seen our day. But no, our great God's on our trail. And though we have committed spiritual adultery, I believe that. I also believe that Scripture is very clear that God is pursuing. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and they will pray earnest, heartfelt, desperate prayer, and they will seek my face, not what I can do for them, but me. And they will turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Do we really believe that? God can, can't he? And he can do it suddenly. A number of years back, I talked to uh, Richard Owen Roberts. We've got three minutes. We did start early, so I'm about to give you one of them back. But uh, I asked him, I said, Mr. Roberts, and he's been involved in preaching about revival for 70 plus years, International Awakening Minister. I said, Mr. Roberts, do you ever get discouraged? He says, oh, no, quite rarely. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I- I'm not uh, saying that I see the, 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 the most promising things happening right now. He says, we're in decline Morally, spiritually, in the church, and also in the culture. He said, but... He says, I live by the biblical principle of suddenly. I said, tell me about that. He said, well, suddenly... He said, the dead, dry bones in Ezekiel 37 came to life. And they became a mighty army. He says suddenly, the angels appeared to the shepherds on the hillside. And they began to tell the story. And he said, suddenly... He said, the Holy Spirit came on the upper room and mighty witnesses uh, left there. And he says, so I live every day of my life looking for God's next suddenly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. May God do it, y'all. Amen. So that disciples might be made by disciple makers and they might themselves become disciple makers. It can happen. But we need God. And so let's call on Him right now. Can we do that? Someone lead us in a prayer for God to come in revival. Would you do that? Oh,
1: Father, I pray today that we would all be on the lookout for the (laughs) Settlement. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to take a look at our own selves and realize that you're speaking to the church. We do a lot of talking, Lord, I know, and a lot of conferences and a lot of studying about uh, revival and what it takes. But rarely are we actually on our knees and actually pouring into others. Who will pour into others. Who will prepare us for the revival that you'll suddenly bring. Mm-hmm. So, Father, forgive us of not being involved in that. Show us your way and may we hear, see Mm. it and participate (laughs) yes thank you Jesus yes for what you've already done yes what you're just waiting to do yes And Lord I want to say thank you for pursuing me yes Mm. thank you we have that same desire to pursue others yes